hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 164, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. Paul Bestel, my friend, now that we have connected again, how are you? <laughs> as soon as you said that, my earphones went. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Folks, we have had some technical issues tonight. <laughs> well, yes. But, well, I think we're okay. I'm, we, I don't know what's going on. You've not had any walks in the woods recently, have you? Absolutely not. Emphatically, no. <laughs> How are you, Paul? I'm all right. I survived the devil's ass, so we're okay. Yes, of course. For uh, If you're a new listener, that's not going to make much sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Paul went to go see the Lost Boys in a cave. Yeah. And I, I got to say, man, you, you posted some pictures on your, on your uh, Facebook. It is a much grander setup than I expected. And I, I think it's just my very small time mentality. I was expecting, you know, some folding chairs in, in kind of like a, 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 low, a low ceilinged room. This is a giant auditorium. Yeah. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the, the main level of the cave. You can go further in into it and go down underground if you wish to do so. Um, I don't know why you would. Sort of the main... The main entrance. They, I think they said it was the said the largest cave opening in Western Europe. So I'll have to uh, go back for when they've got a gig on. I want to see. Yeah, I bet the acoustics would be crazy. Mm, yeah, it'll wake the bats up. That was quite funny as well because obviously we're in a cave. So towards the end of the film, you could see the bats coming out and swooping around behind <laughs> the screen, chasing all those moths attracted by the uh, the flickering light of the quarries. At least the mosquitoes wouldn't be a problem, I guess. No. Well, we don't tend to get much of them anyway. Oh, really? Dude, I am a magnet for those things. It, when I come over there in September, I, I guarantee you the two mosquitoes in the entire country will find me. They'll <laughs> hop on a train and they will find me. They will pursue me like Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive. <laughs> for my part, my friend, I have a terrible confession I need to make. And uh, before I do that, though, listeners, this is going to be a show about the haunting of suburbs and subdivisions. I'm really, really excited to share some of these stories. This is another weird shit episode, Paul, where we have some stuff that really defies, there's some standard ghost stuff and some stuff that's anything but standard. And I, I really, really love that kind of stuff. Uh, but before we get to that, I do have to share my terrible confession. Uh, Paul, so after watching Transformers Age of Extinction in theaters, uh, which was roughly about 16 hours long, if I remember right, <laughs> I promised myself I would never again spend money to see a Transformers movie on the big screen. Now, of course, I've watched all of them since then. I saw The Last Night, God help me. I saw Bumblebee, which was actually kind of fun. And when previews came out for Rise of the Beasts or War of the whatever, the new one, I said to myself, I'm not doing it. I'm, not, I'm just not doing it. No, I'm not. So anyways, I bought a ticket for 10 o'clock tonight. <laughs> I'm glad someone is going to see the films that I will never watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone's got to support that franchise, man. It's one of the great mysteries of the world. Who is supporting these franchises? That is the question. I mean, suckers like me, I guess, is the short answer. <laughs> All right, listeners, now that you know my secret shame, it's almost time to get to our stories. But before we do, 
we gotta thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you're the Rodimus Prime to our Optimus, which is to say we know you've got our back, and also you're probably actually cooler than we are. <laughs> for real though, guys, this show wouldn't exist without our patrons. Everyone who downloads the Ghost Story Guys, you help make us who we are, but patrons are the ones who allow the show to continue, and for that, we are deeply, deeply grateful. And of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we would especially, right now, like to thank our latest patrons. They are... Michael Kearney Morgan A Emily Ennis Melissa M Renata Hawks Again, guys, thank you so, so, so much. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. And if you want to become a patron and get access to not only a bunch of cool stuff, which we'll tell you about at the end of the show, but an ad-free feed, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Or you can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts. You get most of the same stuff. There's one or two things you don't get, but you do get ad-free episodes. You do get early release, and you do get some cool bonus stuff. Again, that's at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or via Apple Podcasts. One last thing, shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith. Jerry is a talented film journalist and composer based out of Central California. His new project, Street Witch, will be debuting soon, and when it does, we'll play it on the show, of course. But for now, if you want to hear Jerry's work, you can find Rainy Days for Ghosts everywhere. You stream your music, courtesy of Night Harvest Recordings, that's the Ghost Story Guys house label, or by going to rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com. All right, my friend, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back with the stories. The Glitch This is a story my father told me when I asked if he believed in ghosts or aliens. My father is a logical, intelligent man who favors fact over speculation and yet he still has no idea what he saw. I have done my best to try and find similar stories, descriptions, or anything of the sort, but it seems to me my father's story may be unique. Some background. In the 1960s, my father lived in a suburb of Denver, Colorado. He was a child, somewhere around eight or nine, and had a younger sister, whom I will call Stacy. On this particular day, it was Stacy and my father's turn to do dishes. Their sink overlooked a modest suburban backyard with a four-foot-tall white picket fence, and mid-dishwashing, Stacy suddenly stopped, transfixed by something outside. She said my father's name and told him to look outside, too. My father described what they saw as an eight- to ten-foot-tall humanoid, rosy pink and see-through, without definable details, Picture a morph suit. If the look of it was strange, the way it moved was downright bizarre. It made the motion of walking, but almost glided or teleported around the backyard. Stacy became frightened and hid behind the counter. It was suddenly at the edge of the fence and bent over all the way, putting its forehead inches from the dirt in the neighbor's yard. My father blinked, and then it was inches from his face on the other side of the glass. He said it had no features but there were indents where facial features should have been. He was frozen with fear, and as quickly as it had come to his window, it was back by the fence. It then took an invisible staircase into nothing and vanished into thin air. My father said he has never seen it since, nor has Stacy, 
and no one he has ever met has talked about anything like that. I've searched the internet, and skinwalkers are the closest thing I could find, but I couldn't locate any of those stories where they are see-through. And Paul, I, I have some additional information, uh, sort of a similar story to this, but I got to say, in finding these stories, uh, I cannot tell you the number of people who I assume just have watched that bloody Skinwalker Ranch TV show who answer every single story with Skinwalker. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is. Does it honestly, the pizza delivery guy was six minutes late and he had a bit of a funny mustache. That's a skinwalker. Yep. Bizarre. It just, it, it, it's become the go-to. I almost prefer the skeptical answers at this point. Guys are like, are you sure it wasn't swamp gas? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. That's helpful. It's reflecting cabbages. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Man, no, I, I, it's crazy. That has gone from a term that really no one ever talked about to just something that's on everyone's lips. And Again, I don't think explains 90% of the things they think it explains, if not more than that. Yes, and, it, and often it, it's usually people with a very loose understanding of the Navajo tradition of the skinwalker because they all... Oh, 100%. That, because if you, for people who say skinwalker, they think dogman. That's it. Right. There is no, no other version of a skinwalker, which is, you know, which is completely untrue. The ceremony allows the, the person to use the, the pelt of any animal or even another human if they wish, and it allows them to become that particular creature. It's not just wolves or dogmen. It's either that or Wendigo. And again, I think people have a very surface level understanding what either of these things are. They have the watered down and cleansed versions of those two particular creatures, because obviously most people talk about Wendigos as some kind of antlered creature, which is bollocks exactly yeah funny enough i remember luke telling me that because luke worked on uh the inpatient mm. the sequel to um until dawn on yeah. on the psvr and he was saying that obviously he did a lot of work um a lot of research skinwalker stuff generally and sort of had some interaction with it there and he said that generally you can tell online when people are just regurgitating stories or making things up based on stuff they've seen in a video game because it always features some crazy antlered creature coming at them. Mm. Yeah, it was just one of those. It's a, a, an interpretation that first appeared in the 1930s, I think, the, the antlered Wendigo. Is that from the Algernon Blackwood story? I believe so, yes. Interesting. Yeah, okay. So what, I mean, what is a more accurate interpretation? Because, I mean, you had, uh, was it Chad Lewis on? And he, he, he did, a whole, they did a whole book about Wendigo. Yeah, Chad and Kevin. Um, That's it. Essentially, they're usually tall, pale, skinny men-like creatures often seen without lips because they've eaten their own lips because they're so hungry who are just right. a ravenous icy cold death machine so i mean this i mean if it's this sounds close to anything it's that because it's tall and thin it doesn't seem menacing in any way but mm -hmm. i should say it doesn't seem menacing but it, it you know it's it's not trying to kill the kids but it's it's more visually similar to that than anything mm-hmm yeah, yeah. I mean, when I read the encounter, there was nothing that I've heard of similar um, at all, really. I mean, often the, I do like the the weird creatures that are often seen, you know, like the Dover Demon or the or the Enfield Horror or, or the Van Meter right. Visitor, because they're quite odd because they're usually one-offs. Um, but I've never heard of a 10-foot pink translucent weird thing. Someone commented on the post that I found this and they had some, they had a, a similar sighting. So I, I, I clipped it and I thought I'd save it here. Or pardon me. I thought I'd share it here. Uh, so this person said, 
I got chills reading this because it dredged up a couple weird old memories for me. Once, I was in my family's living room, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw very clearly a dark figure running jerkily through the room. It was so bizarre and jarring, I sort of half saw it and didn't catch where it had run to. It didn't have any distinguishing facial features, but its movement seemed determined, or maybe even slightly aggressive. A few years later, I saw, I saw a lower to the ground, but larger, dark shadowy figure in the same weird jerky way. I saw it moving across my driveway from my bedroom window on the second story of our house. We had a long driveway and lived in a densely wooded area. I couldn't make out a face or even a head really. It was like a weird shadowy mass that seemed to partially blend into the things around it. At the time, I tried to convince myself it was maybe a bear or another large animal, but I've always sort of secretly felt deep down that it wasn't. Just the feeling I had at the time. I was used to seeing bears and coyote around the area further out in the woods, and they didn't frighten me. This did, though. This gave me that sinking, oh no, gut feeling, and I can still remember it now. So, I, you know, the, the one thing that occurred to me is the possibility of, you know, because if we're talking about things that we can't see and, and don't exist here the same way we do, I'm wondering if maybe they appear in a funny way because we see them in a funny way, you know, almost like, uh, like they look oblong shaped and we only see them in jerky ways because they just kind of, it's, you know, how you squint to see something and it kind of changes the shape a little bit. Mm. So I wonder mm. if it's, it's that kind of thing where we're only catching a little bit of it, you know, it's sort of a, like a trick of the light, but not really a trick of the light. Well, I suppose it all, all comes down to the comprehension of do the laws of physics apply on other dimensions? And if they don't, then that would explain things. But I suppose, you know, 30 years ago, people didn't even have the considered the possibility of other dimensions existing, whatever, never mind ones that perhaps run parallel with ours and bleed into each other. Perhaps there are two people having a chat in the seventh dimension talking about weird pink people they keep seeing running about shouting football songs that terrify them. I'm okay with that, actually. I like the idea that we are also haunting the higher <laughs> dimensions. I figure if they are more spiritually evolved, someone's got to keep them honest. Yeah, yeah. You, you, could, you could say, you know, there could be somebody out there going, oh, there's these really shit things flying in the sky. They make loads of noise and they leave like contrails behind them. I mean, has <laughs> anybody else seen these? And their government will be saying, oh, no, it's, it's Venus. <laughs> Swamp gas. It's seventh dimension Venus. It's seventh dimension Swamp gas. Drunk men on a golf cart at three in the morning up a hill. It's the only thing that makes sense. Go back to your seventh dimension jobs. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Move on. <laughs> they'll be they'll be having a a press conference at the hexagon. <laughs> Light men. I had a lot of strange experiences from around the age of three onwards, and I don't really dwell on it that much these days. But lately, I've been thinking more about some of my experiences and how unusual they were. I think that it was somewhere around the age of five when this particular thing happened. I live in a rural subdivision in Georgia. The area is not quite the woods, but you can walk behind your house and immediately be in the forest. Maybe I was just a weird kid because I honestly thought that I would see weird shadow-looking people and scary long-armed child-sized things made of shadows at night sometimes. They move like they were stuck in fast-forward mode on a movie, 
only very jerky and robotic. I remember the short one always came in large groups like around seven or eight or ten. There's one memory that stands out from the others though. It took place on the day we were moving from that particular Georgia home. I remember staying in the living room with my mum while she packed up our belongings. As I was standing there, chilling out and playing with some toys, I looked up past my mum to see two strange things appear in the big rear window facing the woods. I hesitate to call them beings because they just seem so strange. They were vaguely in the shape of humans, as in almost like the silhouette of a human, except they appeared to be made of very soft white glowing light. But they did not have any features and they were not see-through. It almost looked as if they were a little fuzzy around the edges. As I watched, my mum's back was to them while she was taping up a cardboard box on the floor and she didn't seem to notice anything. The two things seemed to be looking directly at me though as I faced them. And here's where the memory gets really weird. It almost seemed like they turned towards each other for a second or two as if speaking and then the one on the left reached down below the window out of view. I should mention that they didn't appear to have fingers but did have thumbs. Their hands almost looked like mittens made of light. When the one on the left brought its arm back into view, it was holding some very strange almond-shaped looking object about the size of a spray bottle. I was kind of frozen and I didn't say anything, although I don't remember being scared, maybe just confused. I think maybe I was expecting my mum to notice something. I know this sounds weird as hell, but this is what I remember. A tiny light came out of that weird-shaped object and turned into two little orange balls that almost looked like fire. The two little balls went through the window and across the living room in single file. They separated from one another and then as they swerved around my mum, one going to the left and one going to the right, they then rejoined each other in single file line again and came towards me. Instead of separating like they did around my mum, they swerved together to my right and did a full circle around me. I was now super confused because my mum should have noticed, at least I think so. But anyway, they did a full circle around me and then stopped in front of my chest for maybe one second and then went through me. Like went right through the middle of my chest, making a weird little sound with slight pressure. I started touching my chest feeling around because I guess that's just even weird even for a little kid. I looked up and the two things in the window then quickly ducked down out of view and didn't pop back up. What we've confirmed here is that there are creep aliens. <laughs> That's what this is. This is interstellar get in the van. This is very bad. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard stranger stories involving aliens, so uh, nothing, nothing surprises me. Tell me one. <laughs> uh, there's a very famous incident, I think, from Sweden where two men encounter some kind of like giant ball things that try to sort of absorb them and they were sort of hanging onto a fence post as it was trying to like suck him into it. Jesus. Sure that was in Sweden. A lot of people don't know. That's where Ikea meatballs come from. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing surprises me anymore. But um, it's just surely green. <laughs> All kinds of weird, weird encounters. Like the guy fishing and he turns to his right and notices like a 10-foot mantis looking at him. 
<laughs> Matt is just drinking a beer, you know, and, uh, you know, I get hey. it. This is fishing. I understand. So what happened to the Demantis guy? Uh, he he shouted and his friend came back. Obviously, anyway, and uh, and this creature just kind of disappeared out of view and and went just randomly at the fishing bank. Might have been in Canada that one actually. People have all kinds of strange encounters, but yeah, this is a bit odd as well. So you've got these balls of light whizzing about. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we talked a little bit on a previous a recent episode about uh, the men who are not there from episode sixteen, and this has a little bit of that. A little bit of that, you know, the parents don't see it. And it just doesn't kind of fit the normal boxes. Although, again, this is another one where someone had a, a similar comment. Uh, because, I mean, we, we have talked about be, like light beings on the show mm -hmm. in, in as much as they're, you know, creatures, you know, humanoid creatures seemingly made of light or very, very bright. But um, I, again, this is the first time they've kind of extended it outward like that. And this other person commented, and this was their experience. They said... Uh, the first experience was my son's. He was only four years old. We lived in the Midwest where tornadoes happened. I was at work one afternoon when city alarms started going off. Everyone went to the underground level of the building as the twister passed by right down the street, essentially. After it passed and was safe, we all dashed to our respective homes because we were now in a little window of calm in between lines of dangerous storms. I called my family to let them know we lived about 45 minutes southeast. My son was watching out the window for me to get there, worried for me and worried about the crazy weather, and this is when he saw the being. When I got home, he told me, and he was a very calm and rational child, that as he'd stood at the window watching for me, he'd seen a white man standing in Mr. Jean's yard. That's my neighbor across the street. He told me that the white man had no face, but that he glowed like light. As my son watched, the being walked slowly through Mr. Jean's yard and toward the back of that house. He then described a big light suddenly shining out from the back of Mr. Jean's. The white man walked into that light, behind the house, out of sight, the light that went away. They go on to say when the son was 11, something else happened. They had returned from a grocery run. They were carrying grocery bags into the house from the car as usual. And as this person was heading to the front door to get the next load of bags, they saw the white man again stood across the street, again in Mr. Jean's yard. And it, it glowed. It was literally made of light. They said he was taller than any human, but not by a lot. Okay, so they say here he was taller than any human, but not by a lot. I'm guessing 12 feet at most. Who were you hanging out with, lady? <laughs> the LA Lakers. Yeah, apparently, right? Yeah, my buddy Wilt Chamberlain was not impressed with how tall this guy was. Yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, you and <laughs> the Globetrotters. My buddy Bigfoot. Right? right? <laughs> not a lot. He's 12 foot, guys. Yeah. My poker game with Dennis Rodman and several telephone poles. Yeah. <laughs> Just hanging with my homie, Robert Wadlow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he, this person says this, you know, apparently not very tall creature was standing there and they said they felt a very calm, peaceful sensation. And then the feature just, pardon me, the creature uh, began to walk slowly toward the back of Mr. Gene's house, which says to me, Mr. Gene has a real thing for tall guys. Yes. Glowing tall men. Yeah, we can't compete in this new world, Paul. You start doing skincare, and then they just want you to actually glow, not just figuratively. <laughs> Taken. It was mid-August, 2011, and I was a young person with no money for college, no job experience, and nowhere to live. I spent most of my time couch surfing and job hunting, looking for anything that might add some stability to my life. A few months on, I met a man who owned a construction company, and he offered me a job apprenticing with his plumbers. The pay was decent, and I liked the area, so I, I took him up on it. 
As my first day approached, it came up that I didn't have anywhere to stay, so this guy, being the gem that he was, offered me his spare bedroom until I could get on my feet and rent my own place. His house was pretty big, at the end of a long gravel drive, right where the suburbs of the nearby city ended and the sticks began. His nearest neighbor was on the other side of an acre of fir trees. He lived alone, so it was an easy situation to adjust to. He knew I was self-conscious about my housing situation, so we'd commute separately, and he didn't tell the team I worked with. The job was good, and I liked working with my hands. Honestly, it seemed like life was really starting for me. Fast forward three weeks, and it was the beginning of September. I started to have dreams about a weird noise at night. It would fade in slowly until it became so loud as to be unbearable. The sound itself is hard to describe, but it was kind of mechanical and oscillating. It would start with a low tone, steadily climb with a rhythmic beeping to a fairly high tone crescendo, and then go back down and repeat over and over again. I remember it becoming so loud my ears would hurt. There was no other substance to the dreams, only the noise. This went on for a week, every night at the same time. I would never wake up when the sound was happening, but the moment it faded away, I would wake up sweating and panting, and this was always right around 3 a.m. I started to become concerned and asked my boss if he had any trouble sleeping or heard any noise in the night. He said no on both counts, so I figured I was just having a little trouble adjusting to my new life. And yes, I did actually check the carbon monoxide detectors the next time he was out of the house. The dreams persisted. I was starting to dread going to sleep. The sound terrified me, and I didn't understand why. I even went as far as to call out of work a couple days to try and catch up on sleep during the day. On the night of my second day off, I couldn't bring myself to go to sleep. I knew I had work the next day, but anything was better than having that god-awful noise in my ear. It was about 2 a.m. I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. I didn't have a cell phone at the time and only had a novel to entertain myself with, so staying awake was a losing battle. Sure enough, the sound returned. I remember screaming at myself to wake up, trying to will myself out of my nightmare. Suddenly the noise stopped, and I did wake up. Only I wasn't in my bed. I was on a kind of table. It was black and felt like stone underneath me. I was on my back in a shallow depression inset into the table, maybe an inch or two deep. The room I was in was extremely dark, and I couldn't make out the ceilings or the walls. The only source of light was behind me and to the right, and I could hear rustling in that direction. I was terrified, more scared than I'd ever been in my life. I resolved in an instant to sit up and look in the direction of the light and rustling sound. I don't claim to understand or know what I saw there, but I do remember what it looked like. It was a being with narrow shoulders and a small frame, almost like a child's. It was wearing skin-tight clothing with no details or adornments. The clothing was the same pale gray as its skin. Its most pronounced feature was its head, which was maybe twice the size of an average adult's, and shaped like an upside-down teardrop. It was bald, and I remember seeing the light catch the shine of its smooth head. I don't know how tall this being was, but I do know that the table I was on came up to its waist. It turned to face me, suddenly, and honestly seemed surprised to see me sitting up. Its eyes were all black, the size of small apples. I couldn't even see its nose, and its mouth was framed by thin lips, maybe 
half the size of a human's. As it turned, I could make out that the source of the light was some sort of display it was interacting with, though I couldn't make out details in that split second. My fight or flight kicked in and I made a move to get off the table and run. As I did this, this being grabbed a plain black baton from over near the display and quickly but gently touched it to my lower right abdomen. Then, pain. Excruciating, mind-blowing pain. This is kind of gross, but the closest sensation I can compare it to is an orgasm, only with pleasure swapped for pain. That sensation is the last thing I can remember. I woke up right around 4am this time and I could still feel the pain in my lower abdomen. I pulled my shirt up to look at it and watched a red and purple bruise disappear within moments, taking the pain with it. I called my brother and cried my eyes out. I was frantic, terrified. I completely forgot myself in that moment and told my brother everything that happened. My brother thought I was having a mental breakdown, which I suppose I kind of was, and helped talk me down. I called out of work again, and my boss later told me he heard me going ballistic on the phone with my brother. I told him we had a family emergency and left it at that. I've never heard the sound again since that night. So, Paul, I feel like this is sort of right up your alley in terms of expertise. Does this bear similarities to other stories you've heard? Yeah, it sounds like a, a very traditional abduction story, really. Um, you could say that the description is, is quite similar to a grey as well. Some of the reports of the way the head looks and the small eyes and thin lips and no real nose. It's a, it's a very traditional description of, of greys of a certain type on a table of some description, cold, dark rooms on their own. So yeah, it's um, it certainly seems to be that kind of incident. The only thing I was thinking of, because my first thought was gray, but it almost seems like it's so stereotypically gray, but the person doesn't identify it as such. And I was thinking you must have some exposure to the culture at this point. I mean, even if you don't, quote, believe in these kinds of things, I feel like the gray is such a ubiquitous cultural image that it's hard to avoid. But But maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? It does seem peculiar, but I suppose... We have to be careful sometimes that we presume things that are second nature to ourselves are as common as we perhaps perceive them to be in the real world. <laughs> right, of course, yeah, because we're kind of in a bubble. Yeah, or the normal world. Um, right. I mean, you only have to look at what's been going on in regards to the Pentagon investigations and the latest updates and all that. There are people that, despite the fact that some of us think it's incredible information, some people just don't care. No interest right. in the subject at all. I mean, I, I was surprised when I read that, that he didn't say it looked like a grey. Yeah. Because that's exactly what it seemed like he described to me. I mean, it's slightly taller than the, the average one because greys are usually about three to four feet tall, but they do come in all shapes and sizes, height and width and whatever. So uh, it's not the first time I've heard of one slightly taller than the, the normal description. Now, does the sound... The sound that he heard, or I, I assume it's a he, I actually don't know that for sure. Does that, does, is that also uh, something that you know, is relatively familiar to your experience? Some people hear sounds, some people don't hear anything. Um, so it's, it's not a hard and fast rule, which would suggest that you know, different encounters have different, I don't know, introductions or, or, or whatever. Some people hear the noise of the, wherever they are. They can hear talking, but they don't understand it. Some people hear strange noises. Some people hear pops, as though they've 
popped into somewhere and popped back out of it. Right. So um, there are some sort of soundtracks to, to certain encounters, but it's it's one of those things. It's not a hard and fast rule, which is one of those where if people sort of mention strange sounds, it does seem to take it away from a pretty standard stuff. And like you said, you could look at that and say, well, there doesn't seem to be any real cultural referencing in this encounter, whereas anybody who knows anything about the world of, of ufology and alien abduction over the last 40 years would know straight away what's gone on in that particular encounter. Yeah. Well, someone else posted, again, they commented on this, and they had sort of a a little bit of additional information of something that happened to them. So I, th- I thought I'd share that here. So the first person said, the sound you heard reminds me of something those of us who astral travel will sometimes hear, along with rhythmic sensations while sleeping. Generally, people call it the vibrations or the vibrational stage. You might be interested to read more about that, whether there are any commonalities. It's possible this wasn't your physical body experiencing this, but one of your energetic bodies. And I mean, I I don't know much about this stuff as we've discussed. Like this is very much your area of expertise, but I, I do think, at least in some of these cases, what people have experienced is definitely something that's happened more on an energetic level than, uh, like on a subtle level than an actual physical level. Mm. I mean, it's it's one of those as well, because obviously there are accounts where people have had strange experiences in, in places they've never been before. And it's almost as if what they're having the experience with is a regular visitor to that particular location for whatever reason. And it seems to be that thing. Seems to be that thing that nobody wants to talk about. It seems to be happening to people, but nobody wants to talk about it at all. I mean, I, I do think there is still a big stigma. I think with ghost shit, we've come a long way, and I think people are a lot more willing to open up about that kind of stuff. About oh, I had a strange thing happen to me, and you know, this and this and this. I just think that like culturally, we're a lot more accepting. But I feel like with with the you know, I mean, this kind of sounds like UFO abduction, and I'm not, you know, we're not going to get into a, a referendum on on what that means. But I, I do think that people are still reluctant to say those things because I do think there is still a lot of, yeah, a lot of judgment for people who claim to have been taken or who've had any kind of similar experience to this. I just think there's a lot of that like, oh, yeah, little green men took you away, eh? Ho, 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 and just outright dismissal. Yeah, yeah. I've, I have a, uh, a very recent exposure to such a thing in regards to that, that um, one of my, my neighbors or spoken to recently over the last few months and got to know found out that I, I did the show so he started listening to to mysteries and monsters and then uh, last week i was in the back doing some gardening and he said oh hey how are you doing i said yeah i'm doing all right yeah i'm great he said oh loving loving listening to the show we have it on at work all the time everybody's really into it. it's great and it's it's good to hear people talk about their experiences because i've had a lot of experiences me and my brother when we were children I said, oh, oh, okay. He said, yeah, yeah, it's left me with a lot of trauma. And I just wondered if you'd, you'd like to talk about it with me sometime. So I'm just waiting for him to invite me around for a cup of tea and we'll uh, find out. I think he was obviously sizing me up. He had to find out just how open-minded I was, I suspect. The warning. This happened a few years back in a mountain suburb of Vancouver in Canada. This really happened, although I wish it didn't. My aunt had just purchased a beautiful old home in this neighbourhood, but being a business executive, she often travelled around Canada for work purposes. Her two children were at their dad's home for extended periods, and their living nanny went back to her home abroad for a much-deserved break. Therefore, my aunt asked if I could house-sit, as the large home would be unoccupied, 
and she felt uncomfortable with that. I agreed to this, thinking it would be a small weekend break where I could lounge around and rage their fridge. The drive was around one and a half hours from my place, and I was generally eager about the whole thing. The nanny, who we were all very close to, and who was like a second mother to my younger cousins, warned me before leaving that she thought the house was haunted. The country where she was from, the Philippines, has strong beliefs about the paranormal and ghosts, and said that she routinely saw a woman dressed in Victorian clothing by the outdoor pool. She told me to do some special prayers for protection. Being a believer in the paranormal, and experiencing things myself before in unrelated incidents, I took her seriously, but I figured at this point, too late to back out. She left, and I settled into the home. The first few hours were pretty uneventful. I just watched some TV, browsed the internet, and read some of the magazines. Eventually, I sort of forgot about what she had said about the haunting. I ate dinner, took a brief swim, and then things started getting a bit weird. I had that familiar feeling of being watched that most people report when speaking of the paranormal. I tried my best to shrug it off, and realised that I had forgotten an extra towel outside on one of the patio chairs back when I was swimming. When I went outdoors, the towel was floating in the middle of the pool. This freaked me out a bit, but I forced myself to calm down and watch some TV, hoping it would distract me. I was watching reruns of my so-called life, when the faucet in the kitchen began to pour water. I went to turn it off and noticed that a single plate lay in the centre of the floor face down. I put it away and nervously went back to the TV room, but sat in the corner with my back facing the wall because I was growing scared. I didn't want something to sneak behind me like a horror movie. From where I was sitting, you could see the outdoor pool through a glass wall or screen. After about half an hour, I noticed the water was sort of bubbling, I went close to the glass door to investigate, and saw that it appeared that the water was moving as if someone was doing a quick lap back and forth. Yet there were no audible splash sounds to accompany the movement. I also got an overwhelming sense of dread and goosebumps formed on my arms on the back of my neck. I turned off the TV, made sure all the doors were locked, and sprinted upstairs to the master bedroom. I curled up under the covers and started reciting the prayers the nanny taught me before she had left. I must have stayed awake for what felt like hours, long after the sun had set, trying to will myself to sleep. I had left the lights in the room on, because I was frightened. As I closed my eyes and tried to calm down, I heard a piercing scream that seemed to come from outside the window. Then the light turned off, leaving me in darkness. At this point I was panicked, but too scared to move. All of a sudden, the locked window started to flap open and shut forcefully. At the same time, the thick, heavy wooden doors in the hallway leading up to the bedroom began to do the same, causing loud banging sounds. I felt as if the whole house was shaking. The opening and closing of the doors and windows were all synchronised perfectly. After about five minutes, everything stopped. The silence was almost deafening, and all I could hear was my stifled but heavy breath. Then I heard a sound that sent shivers down my whole body. The glass screen door on the first floor slid open, and then shut. There were slow, 
methodical steps coming through the TV room and then up the stairs. It was as if each step was taken with intention, loud enough to knowingly scare me. Then the first door opened in the hallway, then the other, and finally the bedroom door creaked open. I shut my eyes tightly and listened to the footsteps as they approached my side of the bed. I felt as if a pair of eyes were piercing through the covers at me. Then the footsteps moved to the foot of my bed. Minutes passed, and then the presence and the air in the room was so heavy, not one sound could be heard from outside. Not even the crickets that often frequented my aunt's backyard. Then all of a sudden, all of the covers flew off me, and I heard a loud cackle, like one might hear from a cartoon witch. I bolted up, packed my stuff, and left that house as quickly as I could only stopping to lock the front door as the key slipped over and over in my shaking hands. I left the screen door unlocked, but figured no one could get to it anyways, as there was a big fence surrounding the backyard, and frankly, in that moment, it was not my top priority. I checked into the closest hotel, too scared to drive home, and spent a sleepless night there, calling my aunt in the morning. She seemed confused when I told her what had happened she said she'd never felt any ghostly presence there, but that the nanny had mentioned it a few times. Honestly, Paul, I thought the scariest thing about that story was going to be the fact they were watching a program with Jared Leto in it. <laughs> Maybe that's what conjured up the spirit. If it's going to be anything. Drag him back to hell. I heard someone else on a podcast describe him as looking like the inside of a bucket smells, and <laughs> I can't think of a more accurate description. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll never get over his hilariously awful turn in House of Gucci, which is a very annoying film. Oh, I saw that one in cinemas. That, that was three hours going on six. <laughs> and most of it's nonsense. You don't need to make that story any crazier. It's a crazy story. Well, he's also played the only version of Joker who I've heard say, fuck you, Batman. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's no small thing. <laughs> That story, I was I was thinking about that. I mean, I, they nailed down the location a little more specifically, but I didn't want to get. I don't, I don't know why it matters because I you know whenever it's a story nearish to where I live, suddenly I get all concerned about privacy. And then you know <laughs> if it's a story from somewhere else, I'm like, oh no, this is like three twenty five Johnson Street. This is uh, Bob's house. You know, Bob. I I don't know why I do that. I was thinking at, at first, you know, the 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 towel in the pool thing. I mean, if there's a strong wind, you know, it could have been that. But past a certain point, it started, it just, it's, it's undeniable. There's something going on. Mm. It's, it's interesting as well, because obviously she didn't see anything, but she heard something. So yeah, the, nan the nanny sees it, but she just hears it. So once again, but then as, we, as we've said before, her aunt saying that she'd never seen anything or had any feelings is just one of those things, isn't it? Not everybody will. That's it. Yeah. And of course, that makes it tough because then you get the, you know, it's not real brigade because if it was real, we'd all see it kind of thing. Yeah. It makes a change. It's usually the husband telling the wife to stop being silly. That's true. That rather than an aunt saying, oh, that nanny, <laughs> she does say some silly things. <laughs> I feel like when you achieve a certain ex economic level, everyone mansplains. <laughs> you know, when you got enough, when you got enough money, you're, you're all suddenly, you're, you're all that guy and everyone can just. <laughs> just talk absolute nonsense and ignore every bit of common sense that might come their way. <laughs> <laughs> 
the blanket thing is what really finished me, and I'm not surprised it finished them too. I mean, I don't know if I would have made it that far. Maybe, but perhaps it was it was hot, and they were simply trying to help because obviously it was warm enough to go for a swim outside. Maybe they were just concerned that the guest would would overheat. I feel like there's a better way to do this. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy to suggest that we send the ghosts to some kind of finishing school or uh, <laughs> maybe some kind of training academy, but I mean, maybe we're going to have to do that. Paranormal deportment. Yeah, right? It's if, the you, future. if you're going to... If you're going to turn down my pillow, turn down my pillow. Don't rip the blankets off me. One, I sleep naked, so you're going to see shit you don't want to see. The ghost who wanted to die a second time. <laughs> Tell you, I, I, had to, I had to curtail that when I was living in Montreal, because obviously I'm living with two strangers, and the bathroom is across the apartment. So you start wearing more clothes to bed than you ordinarily get to. But it's crazy how fast it goes and come back home. Now I'm just like Bigfoot wandering around here all hairy and naked. It's horrifying. Yes, yes. I felt slightly sorry for those police officers that woke me up at 3 a.m. the other the other month. Oh, right. Yeah, you had, was it the shooting in your neighborhood? But we don't know what it was. Oh, okay. They never told us anything about it. And we checked everywhere and, and couldn't see anything and didn't see anything in the news. Um, but yes, when I went to the window, I forgot because I was like, what the hell is going on here? Dogs barking on the door. It's 3 a.m. thinking, Jesus Christ, what's happened? Oh, completely forgot I was nude. And he's coming to bang on the door again. And I opened the window and went, oh, hang on, I'll be there in a minute. And he turned and looked and I was just stood there in the window. And I, I just thought, fuck it. I'm inside. It's my house. That's it. You're being weird. <laughs> now you know why they call me Tall Bestel. <laughs> the deer are watching. Some background. I live in a rural suburb in a rural county in Texas, about a mile and a half away from my grandparents who live on an expansive Longhorn cattle ranch. My grandparents are currently on a trip to Michigan, and they needed someone to watch their house, take care of their diabetic dog, and water the garden for a while. I love being alone and in the country, so I agreed to do it for them. The first two days were fine. It was on the third that this whole ordeal began. It was about 8.30 at night, and I had just made myself dinner. The recliner I was sitting in in my grandparents' living room was directly beside their large glass doors, and from it I could see into their backyard. Just past the fence of the backyard were about a dozen deer, which wasn't that odd considering there's an insane amount of deer where we live. I watched them for a second, when all of a sudden I felt a wave of fear rush over me. It was like my brain stopped seeing the deer as something harmless, and instead they became a very imposing sight. I scanned over the deer, and my eyes landed on one in particular. I noticed it because even though it was a doe, it was a good bit taller than the others, and seemed to be oddly bulky and slightly misshapen. I watched it for about a second before, out of nowhere, its head shot up from the grass and stared directly at me. I hadn't been moving, and both dogs were inside with me and asleep, but I knew that it was focusing in on me. We stared at each other for about a second before it started to whip its head around in a really unnatural motion. The closest analogy I can make is when a video game glitches and the head of a character starts moving around wildly. It did this for another second before putting its head back down into the grass like nothing had happened. At this point, I knew something was very wrong and I knew I had to get out of there. 
I called my mom who was out fishing with my stepdad and told her I was going home early because I was freaking out. I suffer from anxiety and can sometimes have panic attacks, so she understood, and I hauled ass out to my car. All I grabbed was my phone, my Lunchables, and an Eeyore blanket that I'd brought from my house. I don't really know why I grabbed the extra two things beside my phone, but I wasn't thinking clearly. I mean, Lunchables are expensive, I get it. I'm usually a very careful driver, especially on my grandparents' shoddy gravel driveway, but I knew I had to get off their property or else I'd be in real danger. My car is shitty, with the driver's side window permanently down. The entire time I drove up their half-mile-long driveway, I heard a sound coming from just a little bit behind my car. It sounded as if a mammal tried to replicate the sound of a cicada, very throaty and unnatural, and it was the same constant distance from my car the entire drive off the property. Right in the front of the gate before going back out onto the road were a few of my grandparents' cows. I laid eyes on a black figure amongst them, and almost like an optical illusion, it changed to be the full frontal profile of a longhorn. I would have thought it was my eyes playing tricks on me in my panic if it wasn't for the horns. When I first saw the cow, it was a black figure with no horns, but within the second I spotted it, it suddenly had two giant horns on either side of its head. I managed to drive home, but I still felt extremely unsafe. My instincts were telling me that if I went inside, I'd be cornering myself. At this point, I made up my mind to go to my closest neighbor's house. I knew if I stayed alone, I would be putting myself in danger. So, cue me crying and clutching an Eeyore blanket as I stroll up to my neighbor's backyard, weeping and apologizing profusely. Thankfully, my neighbors are saints and they took me inside and calmed me down. They stayed up with me for a good hour until my mom and stepdad got home from the lake and I felt safe enough to go home. Because I had fully calmed down, I decided to go back to the ranch with my mom to clean up the mess I'd left when I booked it out of there. But by the time we were even remotely close to the ranch... I felt the panic return. We got halfway down the driveway before I told my mom I couldn't do it and that I had to go back. My mom was still planning to go back after she dropped me off at home, but I knew she'd be in danger if she went back alone, so I told her about the deer, told her I really didn't want her to go back that night. She agreed. The next day at about noon, I had to go back to gather my stuff and check on my grandparents' diabetic dog and let the bigger outside dog in so she would be safe from the heat. The feeling of the place was still tense and strange, but not terrifying. Later, at about 8, I had to go back again, this time to feed the dog, let the other one out, and water the plants. I was way more hesitant about it, but my mom forced me to go. I was keeping my cool pretty well until, as we were going down the driveway, I saw a deer standing in the road. I immediately felt the fear of the previous night and started to freak out, telling my mom that I couldn't do it and she had to turn around. As I was freaking out with my mom distracted trying to calm me back down, this fucking deer arched its back like when a cat stretches. That tipped me over the edge to full-on hysterics, but my mom still refused to take me home. My mom went inside my grandparents' house and I stayed in the truck and called my friend Hope so I'd have someone to talk to. I told her what I had seen and she tried to calm me down, but nothing really worked. As I was freaking out on the phone to her, I saw a black shadow dart into and then out of the rearview mirror. That was it. I called my mom and was screaming for her to come back outside and then take me home. 
Even during normal panic attacks, it never reaches this point, and my mom was starting to get angry. She tried to convince me to come inside, but I was begging her and screaming so harshly that my vocal cords hurt. Eventually, she decided to take me home, and I was hyperventilating and sobbing until the moment I arrived back. And Paul, you know, I am really curious to get your take on that because I'm, I'm of two minds about that. And a lot of the people who commented on the original post, they thought it may have just been a, a panic attack. And, you know, when you're in that state of mind, and I know this from personal experience, sometimes you start over-interpreting external stimulus because quite often, you know, I used to have, and then still kind of do, problems with hypochondria. Instead of external things, my, my panic would almost purposely misconstrue, misconstrue things I was feeling internally. And I was, this had a little bit of that vibe to it, but I'm, I'm curious to see what you think. To be fair, I, I'm not really sure that there's a paranormal or Fortean explanation for this. I think it is simply a, a state of mind and misinterpretation of normal sights and sounds. I mean, people say, oh, well, I'm used to seeing what animals do, but, you know, animals do strange things for no reason sometimes. And you just yeah. think... What? What's what's going on here? Why is it doing that? There are, you know, because we don't, we, we have a passing relationship with animals. We will see them at certain parts of the day or at certain aspects of their lives or whatever. But we don't have um, a 24-hour symbiotic relationship with animals these days other than pets. And half the time, if you own a cat, you've no idea what it does for 23 hours of the day. <laughs> That's true. You only yep. see it when it turns up because it's hungry or it's had a poo. Animals are, are strangely hilarious at times, which makes no sense. Um, I would not be surprised to see a deer stretch its back out at all. Yeah, I was thinking that. That seems like a not that unusual thing. If she said the deer got up on two hooves and started running after him, then yeah, that's odd. Funny enough, there was a story in one of the <laughs> patron Book of the Dead episodes. I think it was The Zebra Man. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a thing that looked like a zebra on hind legs, basically running at someone inside a house. When I spoke to Anne-Marie Manalo, she'd got um, a story, I think it was in Portal, about a couple that had gone on holiday to the south of France in a very remote location that was surrounded by forest and a herd of deer. And so they were sat out one particularly lovely summer's evening as they get in the south of France with a glass of wine. And they saw the deer, okay. and then all of a sudden the deer started to stand up on their hind legs and walk about as if they were people. Yikes. And so they went inside and locked the door. <laughs> that seems like the appropriate response. <laughs> Taking their wine with them. Don't want a drunk bipedal deer. Oof, you don't want to fight a drunk deer, man. Poof. No, Jesus. I walked outside my door uh, earlier this week, and there were two big-ass deer just on the literally in my, in the yard, basically just noshing on a tree. <laughs> and I thought, well, you stay there, I'll stay here and we're all going to get along fine. Something that occurred to me though, the, the idea of uh, nature kind of being, you know, just, just when nature is naturing it, that itself can be kind of upsetting. I remember a few years back and, and genuinely this, this, this is one of the few things that uh, like really haunts me. Nick and I went for a drive and we were way, way out in Saanich, which is uh, north of the city. It's, it's pretty rural. Mm. and basically we saw these two rabbits in the middle of the road and one of them, I think it may have had myxmatosis because it was just spasming. 
it was just like its its head was spasming all around and its body was spasming and it's fr- it's the other rabbit didn't have it mm-hmm. and it was clearly trying to f- figure out what the fuck was wrong with with the other rabbit because it would get close to him and then it would spasm and he would go back and mm-hmm. dude it, it haunts me to this day i don't even like talking about it mm-hmm. um because he just you know i mean that's his little buddy and now obviously he's fucked and yeah it just yeah i think about it way more than i should admit to but um that's an example, you know, it would be quite easy to, if you were in a really agitated state of mind, misinterpret that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the strange, one of the strangest things that ever happened to me, like you say, it still stuck with me. I was playing golf once, a lovely day, and uh, on my local course, B-Sheaf in Sheffield, and um, I got to a particular hole, very nice, and uh, it's surrounded by trees. It's quite a, quite a cheeky little fairway. If, you, if you're not on your game, you can lose many a ball <laughs> if you're not on it so i got i finished up and i just put it in and done okay and i could hear a kerfuffle in the trees above me it sounded like squirrels so i thought oh that's a bit odd and then all of a sudden i heard the weirdest noise i've ever heard a squirrel like a and then a squirrel just fell out of the tree just went, oh dead oh my god and i didn't see anything else up there or, or what i didn't think and it didn't have any blood or any injuries it was just dead and I thought, fucking hell, that's odd. <laughs> and there was nobody else around. And I thought, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what has happened here, but I'm off. Off. Got me, got me clubs and I went, out the way. And I just, I just kept, and that's like, well, I don't know, 10 years ago that happened. I, that would haunt me too. Just the story's going to haunt me. <laughs> no idea what, you know. Seen all kinds of, you know, I've seen weird things. I've seen a rat and a blackbird have a fight over a kebab you know <laughs> this <laughs> i don't know if you ever watched 30 rock but this reminds me of tracy jordan's stories about growing up in the ghetto <laughs> saw a crackhead breastfeeding a rat <laughs> so so you know, i'm used to seeing strange things you know i once had to drive for 10 minutes behind a badger that just couldn't be asked to get out of the road sure you know held hostage by a Stray dog for three hours up a pirate ship. You know, I'm Stalked not... Stalked by cows. Stalked, nearly killed by cows, yeah. Chased yep. by cows into a wood. That is fucking... Have you ever been stared at by a fucking cow? Looked, looked into my soul, Brennan, that cow. <laughs> and I didn't like what it saw. Weighed in the balance and found wanting. <laughs> a dark gnome. It has been many years, but I have never forgotten this experience. What made me remember it today, I couldn't tell you. I have had more encounters with the paranormal in my lifetime than I can even count. But this one specifically still boggles my mind. The details are so vivid. I was about five years old living in the suburbs of Chicago. The ground floor was the garage and basement living room area with a small bathroom. This level was built against a small incline, meaning the front of the house was at ground level. However, the back was about three to four feet into the incline, Tornado Alley Protection 101. The second floor was living quarters. This meant that the deck out of the kitchen was elevated roughly five feet from the ground in the backyard. Stairs running parallel along the back of the porch and lattice surrounding the bottom for winter furniture storage. Seeing as it was summer, all the furniture was actually on the porch. One day, I was playing by myself in the backyard. It was grey with no sunlight to be found, but not anything I was described as dreary. 
I don't recall if it was actually supposed to rain that day. I went outside to be simply outside. I hopped on a swing on my swing set and felt a breeze. But this breeze sent a chill up my spine. I heard the lilac bushes in front of me rustle. The breeze came from behind me, but the bushes went from right to left, where the stairs to the porch were. Somewhere in these couple of seconds, I stopped my momentum of swinging abruptly. Remember when you were in grade school on the playground and you had your momentum, but dug those heels in for that abrupt stop that jarred you in your heels, dragged your toes and you felt it in your calf? Yeah, just like that. I knew I couldn't scream. I simply got up and went towards the stairs, maybe 25 feet away. Once I was halfway there, I heard this growl, unlike anything I've ever heard before to this day, even in movies. I stopped dead in my tracks. Some petrified primal instinct told me I couldn't run around either side of my house. The front door was on the opposite side of the house and I would have to have had to unlock two doors on the privacy fence either way I went. It was too far for my little legs. I, to this day, have no idea how I could have known that at that age. So I simply ran up the stairs. As I was running up, I looked under the porch. Why I looked, I will never know. It was maybe the third stair when, despite being terrified and despite feeling a dark energy, I stopped and turned. No more than five feet away from me was a small person, no more than two and a half feet tall, male. They were wearing tattered black clothing. Think Dobby the house elf meets mummy wrap. His face was partially concealed. I can't describe all the details, but he was clothed in what I remember to be a shirt gown, and there was a headpiece. Maybe he was even wearing shoes, I can't say, because I was too distracted seeing his eyes, black with a yellow tinge. It was probably all of three seconds, but it felt like a lifetime. I don't know how or why, but the next thing I knew, my feet were running up the stairs towards the house. As I was rounding the top couple steps, I felt something try to grab my ankle. Somehow, I got away, and I ran straight in the kitchen, locking the door behind me. My mother turned around to see me crying. I told her there was something out there, something under the deck. A little person. A bad person. She told me it must have been a raccoon, and there was nothing to be afraid of. Dad told me the same thing. I knew, and still know, it was not a raccoon. For years I never walked down those stairs, afraid someone would grab my ankle. For years I wouldn't play in the yard without a parent. I even stopped going into the basement. That looming feeling never left me. You know, this is one of those situations where the way a parent can just write off something like this. Oh, it was a raccoon. Yeah. A raccoon scared me so much that I refused to go outside anymore. Unless that raccoon is wearing a leather jacket and swinging around a butterfly knife. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Raccoons, man, they get blamed for all sorts. Telling you, I mean, we've got a bunch of raccoons here and they're not that interesting. They mostly, well, as we've heard, they shag next to the garbage. They come into my house at night and uh, terrify my wife. And really, okay, maybe no, I'm getting it, actually. Raccoons really are sons of bitches. There is something to this. <laughs> I had a very nice relationship with the ones I met in Florida. Were, were you feeding them regularly, i.e. buying them off? Uh, may have been. Yes. Yeah, that'll do it. Hmm. If I didn't have cats, I would feed them more, but I'm worried about attracting more raccoons here with the cats. Hmm. You might even get Bigfoot. 
It's a rough neighborhood. The only times I've ever been challenged to a random fight are in James Bay. I don't know if Bigfoot's down for that. He seems like a very gentle type. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah, don't push him. <laughs> you wouldn't like him when he's hairy. <laughs> I was actually, I was talking to someone the other day. She lives in my neighborhood, and she was saying that she was uh, walking to work. It was about seven in the morning, and there was this guy who just his dog dropped a deuce on the ground, and he started to walk away from it. And, you know, she's got three dogs herself. And she said, hey, man, pick that up because it makes all of us look bad if you don't. And this guy apparently wheeled on her and literally said, do you want to go? Like she, like he was going to fight her. And I'm sure she's a tough person. But I, I just don't feel like this is this should not be your uh, your first instinct. Someone gives you a, you know, a piece of constructive criticism and your, your, your response is, and now we fight. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? You've called me out and shamed me in public. Now I will kill you. Right? Jesus Christ. I, I'm reading right now the book, uh, Men Who Hate Women. It's a <laughs> terrifying look into the manosphere. And I, I, I couldn't be reading it any more uh, like specific a time, any more pointed a time. I'm reading this book. I'm hearing all this stuff. And then I have this conversation with this woman. And she goes, oh, yeah, and this happened. Jesus. So there it is. You know, object lesson. And I just think Bigfoot is just, Bigfoot's better than that. He doesn't need this neighborhood. There's other things he can do. Hmm. She should have just picked that shit up and rubbed it in his face. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Paul Bestel method for conflict resolution. What's he going to do? I, I mean, I, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Tell you what, it's hard to fight with shit in your eye, mate. Hang on, that's, that's the title of the episode. Forget what I had. It's hard to fight with shit in your eye. True. I, I don't doubt it. I'm sort of trying to game it out in my head and nothing about that makes me want to, like, it's stinging. I probably have pink eye in both eyes. Yeah. I have the pinkest eyes at this point. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. Just for the record, the, this is not our official position as a podcast. Do not rub shit in the eyes of random people threatening you on the street at seven in the morning. This is not going to end well for you. Fly me in, I'll do it. <laughs> there we go. Can, we, can I phone a friend? <laughs> You want to go? Hold that thought. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> the old Hercules cartoon, they put the ring up to the sky. Paul, Paul, Paul. You fly down from Olympus. Eat shit, homie. <laughs> did you say eat shit, homie? I did. Oh my God. That's the best thing I've ever heard. Builders of the future. For approaching 28 years, I have held a very real and distinct memory, which I have kept very much buried away from everyone I know. I have kept it from my wife, my family, and my friends. I would not say that it has dominated my psyche as I have grown older, but it does return to me from time to time, and I am now relaying this simple story in an effort to exercise the demon, and also to see if maybe someone else had a similar experience. In August of 1992, I was 12, and living in my parents' old house in the northern suburbs of Manchester, in the northwest of England. One bright Saturday afternoon at approximately 3 or 4 p.m., I was in my bedroom when I heard my mom call me, and so I recall coming down the stairs and into the dining room. The television set was on, and I distinctly recall that it was showing a cartoon, though I am unable to recall exactly what it was. I looked around for my mom, but she was nowhere to be seen, and I searched the entire ground floor of the house whilst calling for her, but she wasn't there. I came back into the dining room when a noise akin to a hooter. Uh, Paul, I got to break in. Do you know what that is? A hooter? 
This is not like an English slang term I should know. No, it's basically what we call a horn. Hooters. Okay, so like they heard a horn, basically. Yeah, like an air horn. That kind of noise. Okay. That's what a hoot, hooter would be. We would call Perfect. it that. Thank you. Okay. I was like, this is probably not a boob. This is probably not an owl. <laughs> when I was disturbed by a large fucking owl. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, paging Mike Clellan. You never know, right? <laughs> I came back into the dining room when a noise akin to a hooter came from the television, and I stopped to look at the screen. To add some context, the TV was a standard, early 90s set. It was not particularly large and was not obviously connected to a computer or other device, including a VCR. It was just a regular TV connected to an aerial. The screen flashed a bright blue and yellow color through which a pattern emerged. The pattern became a tunnel with blue squares crisscrossed by yellow stripes to form a grid. I remember being transfixed by the images as they were extremely sharp, with the colors being very, very vivid and they had a real feeling, unlike anything I had seen or have seen since, on a screen. As the tunnel progressed, additional images flashed on the screen. I saw cityscapes and people and individual buildings, but nothing distinct. A voice spoke and said, We are from your future. This is a test. Know that you are loved. Know you are with us. And at that, the screen flashed and the images gathered pace, too fast for me to comprehend. The experience ended with the earlier Hooter, and then the screen returned to showing a regular program. I don't remember what. I couldn't really process what I'd seen, and I was confused. My mom finally appeared, and I remember trying to talk about what I'd seen, but I couldn't explain it. And from that day, I've never discussed it. To add context, I have never experienced anything similar again. I was not asleep. I have not been diagnosed with any form of mental health disorder. I have not been diagnosed or suspected of having a form of epilepsy or equivalent. I hold a master's degree in a scientific discipline, and my job required UK security clearance, and for this I had a psychological evaluation which indicated no psychiatric anomalies. I have not discussed this with anyone since, and am only doing so now as it has been on my mind for a couple of weeks. I am not a particularly imaginative person, and although I do enjoy sci-fi, I would not say I have a particular devotion to the genre. I'm not sure what to make of the experience but I can assure you it was vivid, real, and has stuck with me ever since. And Paul, I gotta know, what do you think of that? Not the first time I've heard of something like that. Really? Yeah, it's a strange sort of subdivision of, of Fortiana is the weird things that occasionally break into television broadcasts. Okay. I suppose the most famous incident in North America is the Max Headroom one. Right, where the guy interrupted, which I find hilarious watching it, that and and fair play to whoever managed to tape it when it happened. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, because there is recording of it. Yeah, just him going, Max Andrew mask drinking beer, going, and getting spanked and stuff. It's very strange. But um, we had a very strange incident happen here in November 1977, where in the old days the ITV, as, as it is now, was basically made up of loads of regional channels which would share content. So right. you had like Granada for, for the other side of the Pennines. Obviously here we had Yorkshire TV, you had Anglia TV, <laughs> Southwestern TV. So you had loads of different television companies covering areas. Um, and, and one of them, I think it was Southern Television in, in 77, they were broadcasting the news um, and they were talking about... Um, 
some some fighting in in Zimbabwe, I believe, at the time, and, and then all of a sudden the picture started wobbling, and then it started going, and then it went. This is the voice of villain from the Galactic Communion or something, and it was this voice claiming to be from an alien. Oh boy! Telling everybody they were really concerned about what was happening, and they were here to spread peace and love and to stop us killing ourselves. It went on for six minutes, and then it cut to a Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Um, and then just went back to normal. And that was it. Nobody's ever been <laughs> found responsible. They found out a transmitter had been hacked by uh, by something and managed to get into the, the channel signal for, <laughs> for six minutes. But um, it is hilarious. <laughs> so you could say it's plausible that that could have happened. However, who knows? And, so, and no one came forward for the Max Headroom one either, right? No, no, no. It's a, it's a serious offence, isn't it? <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. There have been several, though. There have been several of them over the years. I've watched... There is a there is a YouTube, and I'm not going to... I can't remember it now. There is a YouTube that has, like, the 10 craziest TV interruptions. Oh, okay. And there are some strange ones. Interesting. I, I think <laughs> the only thing that made me think that there could be something more going on here, although, I mean... It seems unlikely that, you know, the future would be calling us on TV. Uh, mind you, there was, you know, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, which uh, this shares some DNA with, but was the idea that something called him, his mother called him, but when he went, he, she wasn't there. And it seemed to coincide perfectly with seeing this thing. Could be a coincidence. You know, could just be, as I say, it was possible back then to hack broadcasts. But I, I do wonder the fact that they were able to lure him there for no apparent reason using his mother's voice mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean like i say i'm giving you a plausible explanation that it has happened i'm right. not i'm not at any point suggesting that aliens did hack in to southern television's transmission during the news and bugs bunny to spread oh, the sure, message because yeah. the thing is if they were going to do that you'd pick one of the biggest channels like yorkshire or granada you know not somewhere down south dealing with a small commun- smaller community of viewers than you would have on most of the other ones. So who who knows? But it's a very, you know, it's a very positive, uplifting message that seems to have very similar sort of aspects to it that the whole early contactee movement was, that all these people were having contactee experiences with, with visitors from other planets who were spreading, um, as, I, as I've spoke with, with other researchers of that particular theory essentially a, a socialist point of view, which some people in the 50s, a lot of the contactee movements were infiltrated by the FBI and the CIA because they presumed that the Russians were doing it because what aliens were saying seemed very similar to communism. Take care of each other. Sounds commie to me. <laughs> which, which clearly, they didn't do much investigation of 1950s Russia because what they said and what they did are two very different things. Um, <laughs> you know? Don't interrupt so, us while we're propagandizing, Paul. <laughs> well, history of knowledge, eh? It's a bastard. And um, <laughs> so, so you've got to, yeah, I suppose you've got to just take it with a pinch of salt. But regardless, it's still a very... It's a very positive message, isn't it? Somebody's telling you that doesn't matter we're from the future and just to let you know that you're loved and you're cared for. And yes, it's a bit peculiar, but it could have been a lot worse. It seems quite an uplifting experience, in my opinion, there. I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact that someone out there is positing there is a future. So that's nice. And that there, and the humanity is out there sending messages back, you know, that we, we get through this. Because 
I mean, I, I've got this this guy. I know he's a journalist, and he's kind of an asshole. He writes for uh, one of the one of the idiotic rags here. Like, he's a good journalist. He just uses his power for dipshittery. Uh, but he loves to poo-poo any notion that oh we're that we're in any kind of inflection point as as far as the environment goes. And I, I wish I could be so flip. I genuinely don't know that he believes that. I sometimes think he does that just because he's paid very well to say that because um, he's a fairly well-known journalist. And I, yeah, I, I think about that and I, I obsess about that sometimes. So the notion that, hey, there's a future and they're sending messages back saying it's actually going to be all right, that's kind of a comforting thought. Never underestimate the ability of people who know they're only going to be alive for another 50 years to take as much money as possible to ignore the future consequences. I don't know. This guy's health 50 years might be a stretch, but yeah, I know I, it, it, <laughs> as like a general sense. Yes, I agree. All right, folks. Well, that is, those are our stories for tonight. Thank you so, so much for joining us. I uh, hope you enjoyed our, our little trip around the, uh, some of the suburbs. I, uh, I love driving around the suburbs. I'm fascinated by them. I would never want to live there. Uh, that's, that's just me. I, I don't like being that close to my neighbors. I'm kind of an asshole, Paul. I, I don't, that's just a little too cozy for me. <laughs> If you have a story, send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We'd love to share it on an upcoming Listener Stories episode. We're going to take a quick break and come right back with our Ghost Force shoutouts. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now, and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it, and make a phone call, or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123. Or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. As always, thanks to Luke, Sarah, Anthony, Joseph, and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, available everywhere you get your podcasts. 
the new episode is out. It is the Vampire Roundtable. And he has a couple guests on, and they are talking about the many and varied forms of vampire, uh, including, of course, our favorite on the show, the Jiangxi. Woo! Yes, yes, the incredible hopping vampires from Chinese lore. So again, you can check that out everywhere you get your podcasts. And Joseph is host of The Cardinal Rule, which is a YouTube show about Arizona Cardinals football. So if that's your game, you can head over to The Cardinal Rule on YouTube. You'll find both shows linked in the show notes. And of course, thanks to you, my friend and co-host, the one, the only, the Paul Bestel, host of Mysteries and Monsters, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? Uh, well, we've got a, a return to a, another relatively unknown UFO case from Wales that happened 10 years ago in Denby, uh, which is uh, one of those that it gets one of those amusing official explanations as to what people saw, as I referred sure. to earlier, drunk men in a golf cart at three in the morning. Oh, really? That's an actual excuse? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Which bears no relevance to the actual video footage, which is available to view on YouTube. Um, (laughs) And then I shall be taking a trip to the northeast of England to join Andrew Ross as he takes me for a tour of the Ghosts of Durham. And then uh, I'll be heading down under to go on the search of the Yowie and the great company of the legendary Tony Healy. Very cool. And where can everyone find you online? Mysteries and Monsters is on all social media platforms and all podcast sites. Perfect. I'm Largely the Truth on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. You can find my other show, Weird Together, which I co-host with Joseph Camo, everywhere podcasts live. That is a show about independent horror movies. So the most recent episode, we talk about Bury the Bride, the new film from director Spider One, who is also the front man for the band Power Man 5000. And it's a, a pretty sweet little desert horror flick shot in seven days. You would never know it. It's a really, really fun movie, and Joseph and I get into it talking about all kinds of cool shit. And again, you'll find a link to Weird Together in the show notes, or you can get it everywhere podcasts live, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those good places. Uh, Paul, do you have any appearances coming up? Well, I was on Spooks, Creeps, and Devilry, but I'm not sure when that's due out, so I would imagine it's coming up shortly. Okay. Fabulous. We'll keep an eye on ghoststoryguys.com. We'll link all of our appearances there. We also with Embedded Players, so you can listen to them on site. Uh, Paul and I will be in attendance at Paramit in rugby in the UK. Yes. Woo indeed. And that will be, what is that? September 1st and 2nd? Is that? Let me check my calendar, babes. Yes. The 2nd and 3rd of September. So make sure to come down, check it out. Paul's going to be given a talk and, uh, I think we're going to have a table. Yes. No. Yes. I believe so. Yes. We will have a table there and we'll be hanging out. It'll be the first time we've met in person. I'm very nervous, folks. So <laughs> come by and see it all happen in real time. Again, that's the Paramete Conference in Rugby in the UK, September 2nd and 3rd, you said? Yes. 2nd and 3rd this year. As we said at the top of the show, if you'd like to support us here at Ghost Story Guys, you can do so by going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. You get all kinds of cool stuff, physical rewards, digital rewards. You get a monthly live show with me and Paul. Uh, You get our bonus conversations, which really has been the bulk of the content for the last month or so. And that's partially because it's almost an entire other episode. I think the bonus conversation from episode 163 was an hour and 10 minutes long. Something like that. It was ridiculous. Uh, The only reason this one will be shorter is because we had technical issues at the start of the show. But yeah, usually it's, it's a nice lengthy conversation between me and Paul talking about random stuff. 
And again, you can get that at patreon.com slash ghost story guys, or by supporting us over on Apple podcasts. But of course, if you support us at the $20 level and above, that makes you part of an elite club. That makes you part of a little something we like to call ghost force. <laughs> That's right. Patrons who support the show at $20 and above get thanked in this segment every two episodes because by God, we love you as much as we are legally able. This time around, the members of Ghost Force are Ethan Saragon, Amy Chamberlain, Brody Daniels, Carrie Lambertus, Cheryl Baker, Crazy Mom, CD, Aaron White, Generic Bob, Haga Thunder, Hannah Brown, Hannah Siemens, Hillary Desasur, Jade Moores, Jason R. Slaughter, JJ907, Jennifer Mullen, Jennifer Sharko, Jessica Linder, Joseph Camo, Kimberly Hansen, Maddie Leatherman, Mara Noriega, Mark Semler, Merlin Hansen, Michael Carney, Peter Guns08.5, Rebecca Brink, Renata Hawks, Rhonda Sheen, Robin Tien, Ross Manriquez, Samantha Ellis. You are the few. You are the spooky. You are Ghost Force. <laughs> Folks, thank you so, so much. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. Again, we, we appreciate everyone who listens to the show, all our patrons, all our Apple podcast subscribers, but Ghost Force, you, you, you folks, you're crazy and we love you for it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And again, if you want to have your name read out in that, uh, that insane lineup, head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And you, I mean, you can make your name almost whatever you want and we have to read it. So you can even have some fun with it for 20 bucks. It just, you know, I mean, again, we're in reason, we're in reason, but, uh, yeah, have some fun with it, folks. Treat yourself. If you want to pick up some ghost story guys, merch, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. You find t-shirts, stickers, all kinds of cool stuff. And, uh, again, I will send you a thank you video. Sometimes a little slow getting them out, but you will get a thank you video for everything you buy, uh, because well, we really appreciate it. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes if you could. Tell your friends about the show. It helps us expand our audience. We're always looking to find new folks who love to laugh and be scared in equal measure. Shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith. Jerry Smith is a film journalist and musician out of Central California. You can find his work streaming on platforms everywhere as Rainy Days for Ghosts and his new project, Street Witch, whose debut single will be coming out uh, shortly after this. I think it was June 15th I programmed the release for. But again, that's Rainy Days for Ghosts and Street Witch on streaming platforms everywhere. Our theme song is Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. And I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in two weeks, but until then... Into the Darkness We Go.
still there? Yes. My computer, hang on, my computer just started doing something insane, and I don't know why. <laughs> I have no idea where this fucking came from. It just, it just like loaded Microsoft Edge. I have no idea why. My screen just went like gray. Okay, I'm back. Anyways, <laughs> that was weird. Clearly, these people need to watch the stuff. No, these people don't need any more help, and they don't deserve the stuff. <laughs> the stuff is too good for them. Well, they're the kind of people who would see white stuff oozing out the floor and think, hmm, I wonder what that tastes like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't want you to drink the white stuff oozing out of the floor. <laughs> There's a bar of chocolate floating in the river. The woke liberal media doesn't want you to eat the sewer chocolate bars. <laughs> what are they hiding? Snowflakes. Real alphas eat all the sewer chocolate. <laughs> I've been eating shit all my life and I'm okay. Buy my course on how to eat shit. <laughs> Clean your room and eat shit. I'm a millionaire now and I cry a lot. <laughs> and it's the same newspaper. You think they get the fucking message after 30 attempts. Which newspaper? I, I wouldn't use their names. I have such disdain for their publication in the United Kingdom. Wow. Okay. So one of the real reputable ones then. Yeah. Rhymes with the bun. Ah, the independent. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe, well, I guess I'm not surprised they've reached out a number of times. I feel like those guys are not real capable of learning. If they were, they wouldn't work there. <laughs> this is just me being old man yells at cloud. <laughs> this raises questions. 